The following is brought to you by Canyon Ridge Church at Tacoma. For additional podcasts or information on service times and upcoming events, please visit us online at www.explorecrc.com. So last week we covered chapter 2 and we looked at the first 10 verses. And then you'll notice there in chapter 2, there's an additional 12 verses of that chapter that we'll be skipping. We won't go into that. There's some verses we skipped in chapter 1 as well. We're just not able to go every single verse unless you want to go from now until the end of the year. And so um, those are there's some great stuff in there. We will reflect back on it a little bit because Paul connects the two in chapter 3. So we're going to skip those verses and go right into chapter 3. And so let me say a quick prayer before we um, get into this. Okay, let's bow our heads. Lord, we thank you so much for your word and so how powerful it is, how encouraging and how we wouldn't make it through life without it. Thank you, God, for your love for us and how you speak to us through your word. I pray that our hearts and minds would be open today to receive from you truth and that truth would transform and change, change our character change our mindset, change our hearts. We become more like you, more devoted followers of Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, looking at verse 1, it says, Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all of his glory. Our focus is on verse 3, and I'm calling this the crown of Christ, my death to this life, hence the coffin. He begins this chapter with the word since. And that is a direct reflection back on chapter 2. And he's referring specifically to verse 20 of chapter 2, which says, You have died with Christ, and he has set you free from the spiritual powers of this world. Now, this is dramatic language here. Is this really what Paul means? Has he made a mistake here? Maybe he means what we need to do is to manage our sin a little bit better. You know, I mean, just get, get control of it. Don't let it get out of hand, you know, and just keep a good, good rein on our sin. Maybe that's what he means. Keep it on a, a tight leash, you know. I mean, we don't want to get too radical here and start talking about death. Maybe he means do your best. You know, that's what all you can expect from somebody, right? Is just to do your best, give it your best effort. That sounds fair. Maybe that's what he expects. Or how about uh, do what you can as long as it's comfortable to you? Maybe that's what he means. And so when it comes to the hard things, the really difficult things to follow, like abstinence, you know, do your best. And if you can't, it's okay. I mean, surely... God won't mind, right? And he wants us to love whoever we can, and he is a God of love. Well, no matter how you want to dance around what he just said, you cannot deny the fact that he said pretty clearly in plain English, 
your old life must die. That thing's got to be dead. D-E-A-D, dead. Say it with me. Dead. Kill the old life. We are buried with Christ when he died. When Christ died, our old life died with him, our old nature. The way you were before you met Christ, that part of you cannot be reformed. It cannot be renewed. It must die. To cater to the old life is like putting lipstick on a pig, right? Or how about, you've seen this before, the guy who spends $10,000 on brand new tires and rims and his car is a piece of junk. <laughs> like one baby's saving up money to, to get the paint job later on or something. And most of our journey in faith with Christ is very slow and very methodical. And change happens over time. It happens slowly. Faithfulness is key. But not so with the old life. Paul says there must be a clear break from the old life. Not a a separation in gradual degrees or as the best you can as you go. Minor repairs here and there. No, the, the old life is rotten to the core and cannot be redeemed. It cannot be saved. It must be killed. Now, our American culture is under the same kind of onslaught that the Colossians were under, under this massive pressure, this external pressure from the culture to adopt beliefs and concepts that are contrary to the gospel. And here Paul's teaching us the gospel. So we're, we're understanding, understanding a very important aspect of the gospel is that the old life must die. Now that goes against what our American culture stands for. Our American culture would like Christianity. They want God. They want the Bible. They want all of us to accept their be- lifestyle as acceptable. To say that there is an acceptable level of sin. And it's so subtle, isn't it? It just kind of creeps up into our own minds that we, we think of our own sin as some sort of acceptable level because we say things to ourselves like, well, at least I'm not committing adultery. At least I'm not taking drugs. You know, so there's, there's, there's a level we can accept in our own side. But as we talk about killing the old life and this radical terminology, it doesn't sound very much like Jesus, does it? It doesn't sound like Jesus talked. This Paul, he's kind of gotten off. He's, he's, he's too harsh. Well, listen to what Jesus said in Mark 9. He said, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better to enter eternal life with only one hand than to go into the unquenchable fires of hell with two hands. Now that's radical talk. Paul and Jesus both are wanting us to see the seriousness of sin. That everywhere sin goes, it produces death. That it kills. So he wants us to think of our own sin in this terms here, that we have died to the old life. It is 
over. It's gone. It's killed. Verse 3, you've died to this life. Your real life is hidden in Christ Jesus. I think he uses the word hidden there to, uh, to explain the fact that it's a process. You know, um, who we are in Christ and who we are becoming in Christ is, is a process. It takes a lifetime. And so you can't see the best part of me yet. It's still hidden there. God's still at work inside of me. He's still bringing that about. Second thing here is that this is not our home. Amen. You're not on this earth. This is not where you are meant to be. You were not created to be here. You were created to rule and reign with Christ in the heavenly realms. That's your true place. That's where you're from. That's where you belong. In fact, your time here on earth is just but a tiny fraction of your lifetime. Don't think of your life in terms of here in the maybe 80, 90 years that you live, maybe 100. That's nothing compared to all of eternity that you will live in the afterlife. The trouble, I think, with most Christians is, a lot of Christians, is that they, they try and move in and out of the old life and the new life. They want to keep the kill most of it, but keep one little part of that old life there, keep it alive. Keep those passwords, keep that access, keep so that I can go back to that old life if I, can, if I need to, if I want to, if it's convenient for me. When death to this life is convenient, then I'll walk in faith. And when it becomes inconvenient, I'll walk in the flesh. You see, it's not very convenient to raise a child all by yourself. So, let your boyfriend move in and help pay the bills. It's not very convenient to be single and lonely. So, get involved with somebody else who is then living a life contrary to the gospel. It's not very convenient to be faithful in your giving to God. So we spend everything we have and have nothing left at the end of the month to give. It's not very convenient to take a moral stand with your friends. Because they may isolate you or reject you. It's not very convenient to trust God with your whole life and your whole heart. So... We act on our own strength and our own power, and we have a shallow, sac- uh, superficial faith or relationship with Christ. Paul is telling us plainly, kill the old life. And if we don't, the consequences can be very, very serious. There was a, a writer, psychologist, I believe, and she She wanted to understand why serial killers are able to kill so many people indiscriminately. I mean, they can just kill people and have nothing inside of them that would restrain them or hold them back. So she went and she interviewed three notorious serial killers over a period of time. All three of these men together killed 167 men, women, and children. 
And what she found in her study was absolutely chilling. She found the exact same three things in all three of these men. Each one described how over time in their life they became more and more dead to love. They became uh, indifferent to compassion and mercy and empathy. They had none of these qualities left in them. And they all talked about how at one time in their life they did have love for their fellow man and then they lost it. Now I know that's, that's an extreme example, right? We're talking serial killers. We're not serial killers. But I wonder how much of an impact would happen on our own families and our own life if we would just change our thinking about the old life. Put to death things like lust, anger, greed. How that would change our outcome and our outlook on life. And it's important to remember, now this is a key distinction here. Paul is talking to Christians here. This letter is written to the, to the Christians in Colossae. He's not giving an ethics lesson for the local businessmen's club. He's talking to God's people. These are ethical moralities for Jesus followers. That's an important distinction because we cannot take what God says we should do and take it out into our culture and into our American society and say society must now follow this. They're not followers of Christ. They're not, they're not bound by this. They're not going to follow this. They can't follow this. It's impossible. Because until you put to death that old nature in Christ, you will continually fulfill the flesh. The other thing that I think that makes this difficult is the things that Paul lays out here for us in Colossians 3 are things that the culture applauds. He's saying, God is against these things, but the American culture says, these same things are great. We're not against them. <laughs> things like lust. Culture praises lust. Dress lustfully, act lustfully, talk lustfully, Fornication. Fornication, it seems like, with some politicians is nothing more than a resume enhancement. Dirty language. He specifically mentions dirty language and unbridled passions. I think our culture has a fascination with the F word. You know, it's like, you have to use the F word in speech in the culture or there's something wrong with you. You're weird. You're not normal. So it's inserted all the time, always. And he says we shouldn't have speech that is contrary to the gospel. Now, I am not going to stand up here and pretend or, or even give you the opportunity to believe that I never curse. Right, that would be completely false. I have... Let one slip out here and there. And uh, 
probably more than most. But if I couldn't speak on anything in the scriptures unless I followed it, there wouldn't be a whole lot I could talk about. Right? I mean, I could follow Judas hung himself. That's about it. Just because John is a cuss mouth doesn't mean it isn't a sin and that it's contrary to the gospel. And why? Because Jesus didn't talk that way. Jesus didn't have raunchy speech. In fact, Jesus died on the cross so that we could die to those longings in ourselves. So Paul tells us, he says, listen, set your mind. Listen, set your mind on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in a place of honor at God's right hand and think about heavenly things, not things of the earth. So don't let your focus just be about what's going on here, your daily life, work, and your bills, and your relationships. Don't let your whole day be consumed with that. Set aside a short amount of time, maybe 15 minutes a day or whatever you can, however much you can, and focus just on heavenly things. It's remarkable how much your perspective changes about everything when you stop for a minute and stop thinking about all the bills and think about heavenly things. Good, godly things. Now, he's not advocating spiritual escapism or a constant daydreaming of heaven. He just means that if your mind is fixed on Jesus, you're far less likely then to be fixated on worldly things. Let me ask you, what are you feeding your soul? You know, your body doesn't have gauges on it like a car does. You know, you can tell when you're running out of gas because the light comes on, right? You don't have that on your body. You don't know when you're running out of gas. You don't know this or that because you don't have the gauges. So your soul speaks to you through your emotions. You know, this is for guys especially. Women, just forget about it. Just daydream for a second. <laughs> guys, if you are driving down the road and Lee Greenwood comes on the radio, you know, I'm proud to be an American. At least I know I'm free, right? You know that? And you start bawling, your soul's talking to you. When you see a commercial on TV about boating and you're depressed and you want to cry, your soul's talking to you, man. It's talking to you. It's the only way it can talk to you and say, you got something there you need to deal with. You got to take care of yourself. And so you got to watch what you feed your soul. Starve your soul from the things of the world. Otherwise, you will develop a craving for that stuff that overpowers your craving for Christ. One of our values at Canyon Ridge that we want you to pick up and develop in your own life is to be self-feeding. That means you feed your own self. If you live off of Sunday morning, 
You're starving to death spiritually. You got to spend some time on your own during the week listening to Christian music and getting into the scriptures and prayer and, and being with other Christians. You got to do all of that on your own to feed your soul. And what it does is it reduces your hunger for worldly things. Focus your mind on heavenly things above. Get your mind up there and you think less about earthly things. You know the peace of God comes into your heart after spending time in the scriptures. You want peace? That's where you find it, in the scriptures. Every single day. Take a look at verse 5. It says again, put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still part of this world. But now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Now put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to love your Creator and become like Him. So much powerful truth right here in that little paragraph, isn't it? I mean, three times he tells us and gives us this imagery of putting to death the sinful nature. Putting to death your old life. That's not you anymore. The old is gone. The new has become. We are alive with Christ now. We are dead to sin. If I were to just spin this around here. Let's hope that I don't break something. Can you see that? Let's hope it doesn't fall down. You see, you look into the mirror and you see yourself. You have died to Christ. You're, you're in that coffin. Your old life, all of it is there. Close the lid, bury it, and walk away. Walk into that new life in Christ by faith. He says, Put to death the sinful, earthly things lurking within you. I love that language. The put to death the creepy little crawlers. Would you tolerate, listen, would you tolerate a rattlesnake in your bathroom? No. So friends come over and they say, thank you. <laughs> your friends come over and say, hey, watch out for the rattlesnake. I'd look into the toilet before you sit down. There's a snake in there. No? No, absolutely not. What would you do? You'd get, well, you'd scream and run out, probably. But you'd call somebody. they go and get the snake. Or you'd kill it. That snake is that sinful old nature. All right? And what is it always going to do? Kill! Kill! That's what it always does. It must be killed. It must be put to death. 
He keeps hammering this point home over and over. In other words, I don't want you to forget this. If you're going to survive the onslaught from our American culture to conform, then you must kill that thing. You will not survive if you don't. We're not managing our sinfulness here. We're not controlling it. We're not taking care of it. We're killing it. Now, you can't, you don't want to misunderstand. Every time there is a, um, a list in the Bible, there's a list, there's dangers with that. And people, they, they don't understand these lists. Paul's not saying here that our life in Christ is a matter of following rules. Because you can take a list and everything's listed right there in Planitian and say, okay, these are the things that are important. And that's not the case. There is no difference between idolatry or, or uh, any of these sins that he's listed and other ones that aren't listed. Sin is sin, right? Now, some have greater consequences, but sin is sin. So it's not a matter of following a list or, or, or um, following rules. It's about putting to death the old life. All of it. All of it. Put it to death. And then the Holy Spirit empowers you to live for Christ. You see, it's about living, it's about who you are. Who you are as a person, you are empowered by Christ to live by live for him. You are his. You belong to Christ. I think he gives us a list so that we can see that God is serious about sin. Sin matters to God, and and he's so serious about it, he thinks we should kill the old life. So it's not a matter of do's and don'ts. Any type of Christianity that is boiled down to a list of do's and don'ts gets perverted into religion. And that religion becomes condemning. And then, then if you live in that kind of system, then you're constantly condemned by the things that you do. I mean, you, 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 you don't qualify for anything that God has because you are wretched bad. Now, see, the, the gospel would say that's just the opposite of the truth. You are not rich, wretched, bad, evil, perverted, sick, demented. You are in Christ. Yeah. All that other stuff that you were, it's in the coffin. It died with him. I'm not that person anymore. Now I stand before God in a white robe, blameless and holy and pure and righteous because of Christ and his sacrifice, I am considered the righteous. So it's not a system of control. It's not a performance treadmill that says you have to get on there. And as long as you're good, you can feel good about your faith. But when you're bad, then you have to be depressed and be condemned. Because of the, your terrible behavior. And Paul's saying, no, 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 that's not it. You've, we've died to sin. Sin no longer rules and reigns within us. Because we live for Christ. And so all of this can be summed up in this right here. I want you to hear this. This is so important. This will change your life. One, because of this, we know who Christ is. We know who Christ is. 
Christ is Lord of all. He's king of kings. He rules and reigns over everything. There isn't anything on the face of the earth that is not subject to Christ. He is supreme. No other gods, not Buddha, not Allah, no other creature. All in submission to Christ. And two, because of who Christ is, now I know who I am. I I know who I am. I am alive to Christ and I'm dead to this world. It no longer has a hold on me. Oh yeah, there was a time, there was a time in my life when I lived in the world and I did exactly everything that they did and I, and I did it night and day and I followed in that path. That's who I was. But that's been crucified with Christ. It is now dead and I live in him. I know who I am because I know who Jesus is. Amen. It's so important. Because if you don't know who Jesus is, you'll never know who you are. You'll never know who you're supposed to be. The, second, the third thing that it opens up, another door to us, is that now I know who Christ is. I know who I am. Now I know why I'm here. I know why I've been created. I know why I'm on this earth. I have a purpose. I'm here to worship Christ and serve him. That is my purpose. Because remember, he's crowned king. That means I'm dethroned from my own lordship and I am serving Christ. And everything about my life now becomes serving Christ. And fourthly, it tells me that this is not my home. I know where I belong. This is not for me. I don't, this is not my home. So I don't get caught up in a big mansion this last week, I, I went and looked at this mansion. These people just, they're almost done building this mansion on three acres. It's almost 8,000 some square feet. Okay, so half the size of the church. Millions and millions of dollars with columns and marble everywhere. And all this opulence. And for what? For what? In a couple hundred years, it'll be a pile of dirt. There's nothing. This is not our home. There's no, there's no point in having a palace here. For what? There's no point in having the best car, the newest TV, or all this stuff. Get caught up in stuff. I got to have stuff. No, I am not from here. I am a foreigner here. Amen. I'm headed somewhere else. And that's where home is. That's where I'm going to put my roots down deep. That's where I invest all of my energy and all of my hope and all of my dreams. It's there, not here. I am made to rule and reign with Christ. Knowing these four things is enough. This is enough to build your life on. You see, Paul was being foundational with the Colossians. They're brand new Christians. So these four things, build on these things. Build on this knowledge. Uh, Practice your faith in these four areas. And you know what will happen? Is you will never be swayed to go back to the old life. That, That loses its hold on you. You know, maybe at the beginning, so 
So your conversion was, you know, it was, was, was weak, was shallow. But you build on that, you build on that, and you get strong enough that when that world comes calling, you say no. You say no to those passions, those old passions of yours. You don't, you don't fall into that. You'll never sway into something that contradicts Christ because you're becoming like him. I think it's the most beautiful, powerful synopsis of the gospel right there. You know, theologians tell us that next to the book of Romans, Colossians is the most complete picture of who Christ is and what that means to us. It changes everything. So let's go to God in prayer. And I want you to think about your own character, your own life, and the seriousness of sin. And maybe you have never really thought about this. Has that been taught to you? And so you didn't know that you were to put to death the old life. And so you've been going back and forth, and it's been frustrating and discouraging. So maybe you could just say on July 13th, 2015, I crucified my old life. Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus and Lord. Today is July 13th, 2015. Today, Lord, we take our old life and we place it in this coffin so that we could live in you, so we could have a new life hidden in Christ Jesus. Help us, Lord, to renew our mind day by day, to think about things that are, that are above and not get so consumed with stuff here but to know this is not our home. And we're here to serve you and to be your ambassadors on the earth. And we don't need all that stuff. Lord, change us. Help us to conform. Help us to stand against the onslaught from the demonic powers of this age and this world who would try to get us to conform. Be like them. Help us, Lord. We love you, Jesus. We want to be conformed into your image and your character. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.